Welcome, everyone, to another fascinating episode. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're diving deep into a titillating paper titled Patients Ensures Fairness by Florian Brandel and Andrew McKenzie. Published in November 2023, this paper tackles the age-old issue of fairness in allocating time slots among individuals with varying degrees of patience. The paper revisits a model where a sequence of time slots needs to be fairly distributed between agents or people and along with the time slots, we're talking preferences that each agent holds. Right, Jen. It's a challenge often encountered in situations like timeshare vacations or child custody arrangements. The researchers specifically look into cases where agents have different levels of patience. They come up with this intriguing idea that if everyone is sufficiently patient, a fair proportional allocation of these time slots can actually be achieved without needing to split them, redistribute wealth, or involve randomness. Now, hold on to your brain cells, listeners, because patience here isn't just the virtue your mom told you to have. It's quantified using a concept from a 1914 model by Kakea, described as K-Kakea. Right again, Tom. Imagine if every future event matters to you at least K times less than the present one. This means if your utility is K Kakea, for instance, your level of patience is quantified by K. And they found that there's a magical range of patience that ensures sure's fairness. There's a lower threshold where if everyone is above it, you get a proportional allocation. That's where everyone feels like they're getting at least one N of the total N, being the number of agents. And then there's a higher threshold that guarantees an envy-free allocation. Nobody thinks someone else got a better deal. They construct proofs for these thresholds, showing that they can practically generate such allocations. One of the methods they use is what's called the iterative cycle apportionment, where time slots are allocated in cycles to guarantee everyone is getting their fair share. And for the math enthusiasts, they dive into how utility functions and preferences are represented, and even talk about the possibility of achieving envy-free, efficient allocations if everyone's just patient enough. We should also mention that the authors tackle something pretty complex, turning what's known as a perfectly divisible cake problem into our time slot scenario. Into Jen, it feels like we're slicing up time rather than cake here. This paper is a frontier in fair division literature and intertemporal choice. Speaking of the frontier, the authors leave us with some open questions. What if agents sometimes prefer later time slots or what about efficiency in envy-free allocations? Those are the teasers for potentially more groundbreaking work in fairness. Patience might not just be a virtue, but also a ticket to fairness in scarce resource allocation. We've certainly added a dash of patience to our knowledge recipe today, listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode, where we'll bring you another dose of intellectual curiosity. See you then, and remember, Patience not only ensures fairness, but also helps in digesting heavy academic papers. And that's a wrap on Patience Ensures Fairness. Keep pondering and keep listening. Tom and Jen, until next time. Have you ever felt like your musical performances were missing something extravagantly shiny? Looking to hit a high note in opulence or summon a unicorn with your jazz solo? Then you, my friend, are in luck because Crystal Trumpet Extravaganza Lilted has just the bling for your swing. Introducing the Glissando Glitz, not just a trumpet, but a ticket to your most sparkling performance yet. 
hand-blown glass, genuine Swarovski crystals, and wait for it, LED-infused valves. And if that wasn't enough to dazzle your audience, there's a built-in fog machine for when you really need to toot your own horn. Perfect for eccentric billionaires or that avant-garde musician looking to shine brighter than the rest. Seriously, folks, with a crystal trumpet from us, you don't just play music, you perform magic. Visit Crystal Trumpet Extravaganza Lelid today to add some unnecessary yet totally worth it opulence to your brass section. Disc disc are unicorns not included, but highly possible. Get your glissando glitz now and let the extravagance blow your mind. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're delving into an incredibly insightful paper titled Empirical Review of Youth Employment Programs in Ghana. Now, youth unemployment is a pressing issue worldwide, but today we'll look at Ghana, where the youth unemployment rate stands at a concerning 19.7%. Absolutely. And the paper we're discussing was carried out with support from the Partnership for Economic Policy and is focused on dissecting the various youth employment initiatives in the country. So the heart of the paper is really about identifying which public efforts are effective in addressing the challenges that young people face when transitioning from school to work. And the findings are crucial for policymakers to strategize and design better programs. The authors collected qualitative data through focus group discussions and interviews to complement their desk reviews. Now, one of the standouts from the study is the elaboration on the various types of youth employment programs, which include skills training, job placement matching, seed capital, subsidies, and more. But it's not all rosy, folks. The paper reveals challenges like duplication of initiatives and lack of coordination among programs. And what's interesting is the call for a centralized system to oversee these programs, something that could really boost their impact. Plus, they stress the need for rigorous evaluations to provide empirical evidence of how effective these programs really are. The impressive aspect of the paper is that it doesn't just stop at critiquing. It also offers recommendations for improvement, such as centralizing youth employment programs and laying out clear strategies right from the program design phase. The aim is to not only tackle youth unemployment in the short term, but also sustain these employment opportunities in the long run. It's fascinating to see the paper addressing political influences and how these can affect the transparency and fairness of these programs as well. Now, before we continue, let's make sure we break down some of these more complex topics. Tom, can you help our listeners understand the concept of rigorous evaluation the paper mentions? Absolutely, Jen. Think of rigorous evaluation as a thorough checkup by a doctor. Just as doctors use tests to diagnose and decide on the best treatment, Policymakers use data and careful analysis to understand how well a program is working and how it can be improved. That's a super helpful analogy, Tom. Uh, and the part about centralization is about having a headquarters, so to speak, for all these youth employment initiatives to ensure resources are used efficiently and programs aren't overlapping unnecessarily. Exactly. It's all about coordination, analysis, and strategic planning. And with that, I think we can wrap up this episode. We hope our listeners now have a deeper understanding of the youth employment programs in Ghana and the fascinating insights this paper provides. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more discussions like this one. Until next time, I'm Jen. 
And I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in. Are you ready to rock the fabric of space-time? Strap in for a celestial serenade with Stellar Strum's Galactic Guitars, Inc. These aren't your grandpa's six strings. Made from meteoric metals, each guitar is a riffing odyssey. And talk about ancient wood. These moon woods are older than the dinosaurs. With a built-in mini telescope neck, you can jam to Jupiter and serenade Saturn. Zero gravity strings float effortlessly through scales and solos. It's like shredding in a space shuttle. Hey Jen, ever played a power chord that resonates through the cosmos? Only every time I strum a Stellar Strums Galactic Guitar Tom, give your jams a gravity-defying groove. So remember, when space is too quiet, Stellar Strums brings the rock and roll. Tune into the cosmos with Stellar Strums Galactic Guitars, Inc., your interstellar ticket to galactic greatness. Sponsored by the number one name in the star strumming business. Because the final frontier deserves its own soundtrack. Welcome to our latest podcast episode. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we're diving into the heady world of monetary policy shocks and how they can be a game changer in the economy. We'll be unpacking the research paper Time-Varying Identification of Monetary Policy Shocks by Anika Kamel and Tomasz Wozniak, and boy, is it a doozy. Right, Tom. Now think of the economy like a massive engine and monetary policy as the knobs and levers the central bank can pull to keep it running smoothly. But sometimes, the bank goes beyond the usual tweaks and pulls off a shocker. That's like suddenly pressing the accelerator or brake on the economy car. These shocks can be changes in interest rates or money supply that aren't expected by the market. Exactly, Tom. And these researchers have put on their detective hats to figure out when and how these monetary policy shocks happen. They use what's called a Bayesian heteroscedastic Markov switching structural vector autoregression. Phew, that's a mouthful. Ha! True. So, Jen, this means they're looking for patterns in economic data that switch between different states over time. It could be a state where the central bank is following a predictable rule and a state where it's in shock mode. The fun twist in their method is the time-varying identification. Instead of assuming that the ways they can identify these shocks are constant, they allow them to change over time. This acknowledges the reality that the economy and the way the central bank reacts to it can evolve. The authors even show that these methods can reveal when the U.S. Federal Reserve, the Fed, was more focused on curbing inflation or stimulating economic growth. And guess what? It changes over decades. They discovered that before the year 2000, the Fed's actions were typically in sync with what's known as a Taylor Rule, a formula that sets interest rates based on inflation and the economy's performance. But post-2000, things got wild. The Fed started considering other factors, like the supply of money, which is all about how much cash and cash-like assets are out there. That's when things like quantitative easing came onto the scene. Think of it as the Fed's way of pumping money into the economy by buying up a bunch of financial assets. Now, why does any of this nerdy stuff matter? Well, for starters, their findings suggest that if it weren't for the Fed's creative monetary policy after the 2008 financial crisis, inflation might have been even higher. And that's huge, Tom, because it's, it's about understanding when our monetary policymakers are sticking to the script or when they're throwing curveballs. It's these curveballs that can really shake things up. 
So next time you're watching the news and hear about the central bank making a move, remember there's a whole lot of detective work and fancy models behind the scenes trying to pinpoint what that move could mean for all of us. A big shout out to Annika Kamel and Tomasz Wojniak for letting us take a sneak peek into the economic crystal ball with their innovative research. You've been listening to us get excited about monetary policy shocks. Stay tuned for more interesting dives into the world of economics. And remember, it's not just numbers. This stuff affects everyone's daily life. Until next time, keep your economy engines revving smoothly, and we'll keep decoding the signals for you. This is Jen. And Tom signing off. Are you tired of your pickles being just ordinary? Then hold on to your taste buds, because Yeti Crisp Pickle Emporium is here with a briny blast of adventure. These aren't your grandma's pickles, unless your grandma is an eight-foot-tall Yeti with a penchant for pickling. Handcrafted in the hidden pickle patisseries of the Himalayas, each crunch is an echo from the peaks. Take a bite, and you might just hear a Yeti yodel. With spices so exotic, your mouth will think it's on vacation, somewhere chilly. Fancy a footprint with your food? Every jar comes with a possible Yeti print, Tom and brining the unbelievable together. So go on, take a pickle from the wild side. Yeti Crisp Pickle Emporium, the legend in every jar. Sponsored by Yeti Crisp, keeping our podcast crunchier than a frozen cucumber. Grab a jar today and experience the crunch of mythic proportions. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're diving into the fascinating world of optimal taxation and the Domar Musgrave effect. Strap in, we've got a complex topic ahead, but we promise to keep it as intuitive as pie charts at a pizza party. Let's start with the bedrock of our discussion, the idea of taxation, why it exists. Taxes are how governments fund public services, from roads and schools to national defense and social welfare systems. The trick is figuring out how to tax in a way that's fair and efficient. It's like a game of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You want to find the tax rate that's just right. Right you are, Jen. Tax too much, and you might stifle growth or encourage tax evasion. Tax too little, and you won't have enough for essential public services. Enter the superheroes of our story, Domar and Musgrave, with their 1944 insight into capital income taxation. They pointed out that taxing capital gains could actually encourage riskier investments. Because, get this, if a capital loss means you lose less money due to tax deductions, that's the full offset provisions, by the way, you might be more willing to invest in something that's riskier but has the potential for higher returns. It's like having a safety net when walking a tightrope. If you know it's there, you might be more daring in your acrobatics. This, friends, is the Domar-Musgrave effect. But it's not just about being bold for the sake of it. Riskier investments can lead to innovation, growth, and dynamos of economic development. Still, it's not just about risking it all on black and hoping for the best. There's a bit more nuance to it. So in walks Brendan K. Baer and Alexis Akira Toda with their paper from 2023 analyzing the optimal choice of flat taxes on labor and capital income and on consumption. They laid down a model where agents, think of them as mini-economies, manage portfolios of bonds and capital while juggling investment risk and the uncertainty of mortality. Grim, I know, but hey, we're all in that game. 
The goal was to find the sweet spot for tax rates that maximize welfare, basically the well-being of these agents, while not dipping the government's tax revenue below a fixed level. And what did our intrepid researchers find, Jen? That in some cases, it's best only to tax capital income and consumption. And here's a kicker. The optimal rate of capital income tax could be zero if the entrepreneurs in the model are already maxing out their borrowing capacity. Yep. But if they're not teetering on the edge of their credit lines, a positive tax on capital income might be a good thing, reflecting the Domar-Musgrave effect's encouraging risk narrative. Their analysis is a roller coaster of economic reasoning, showing that shifts from labor to consumption taxes lead to some interesting behavior, like initial drops in consumption before it leaps back up like a cat on a hot tin roof. It's a balancing act, and Bear and Tota walk the line, providing important insights into how taxes influence our economic lives in ways we might not expect. And that, dear listeners, is just scratching the surface. There's a harmony to be found in the cacophony of numbers, rates, and revenue, and it's a tune that could lead to a dance of welfare and growth. So next time you're thinking about taxes, and I'm sure it's a daily pastime for you all, remember the Domar-Musgrave effect. It might just change how you view your investment risks. That's all for this episode. If you're intrigued and want to deep dive into the world of optimal taxation, grab a copy of Bear and Toda's paper, and prepare for an adventure in economics. This is Jen reminding you that every percentage point in a tax rate carries a story of risk, welfare, and the endless pursuit of balance. And I'm Tom, saying keep those financials balanced and those portfolios diversified. See you next time, where we make economics as entertaining as a barrel of budget analysts. Bye-bye, and stay economically savvy, everybody. Get ready, space cadets, because we're about to launch into fun with our new sponsor. Introducing Disco Meteor LLC, the maestros of the Meteor mashup where supernovas and supergroups collide. Feeling astronomical levels of boredom? Well, no more. Grab your space boots and a telescope, because the stars are coming out to play. With their funky high-intensity disco balls strapped to those shooting stars, you're not just catching a light show, you're catching the light show. Imagine cruising through the cosmos, bumping to beats spun by the coolest alien DJs this side of the Milky Way. And folks, when we say bringing the groove to the universe, one celestial body at a time, we mean it literally. Your wishes are going to boogie down with Disco Meteor, LLC. Don't just wish upon a star. Dance with it. Throw your hands up for a meteor shower that showers you in rhythm. So the next time you're stargazing, make sure you're doing it with Disco Meteor, LLC. Maybe the stars will align, and you'll catch the Big Dipper doing the hustle. Thanks, Disco Meteor LLC, for sponsoring our interstellar adventures and for lighting up the night sky with the sickest beats and sparkliest meteors. Now, back to our podcast where the fun is universal and the laughs are out of this world. Welcome back to our award-winning podcast. I'm your host, Tom, joining you for another episode where you're guaranteed to learn something new and have a good time doing it. And I'm Jen, here to dive deep into fascinating topics, breaking them down in ways that'll make you say, aha, now I get it. Today, we're taking an intellectual adventure into the world of collective decision-making with our episode titled, Collective Sampling, an ex-ante perspective. That's right, Tom. This might sound like a mouthful, 
But it's actually a super intriguing topic with plenty of real-world applications, from economics to how companies make big decisions. So let's not hesitate and jump right in. In simplest terms, collective sampling is about how groups gather information before making a decision. Think of investors analyzing the market or a hiring committee interviewing candidates, both scenarios where more than one person is involved in gathering and using info. Now, previous studies have mainly focused on single decision makers. They've done a fantastic job at understanding when enough information is enough. Too little, and you're gambling, too much, and you're just wasting time and resources. Exactly, Jen. But life is rarely that isolated. Often, multiple parties are involved in gathering information. The decision to stop collecting data and take action isn't up to just one person. Instead, everyone's trying to strike a balance between acquiring helpful insights and, well, not dragging out the process or stepping on each other's toes. The tricky part is, everyone's got their own ideas about when to move forward. And that's where things get spicy. If I think it's time to stop researching and make a move, but you want to keep digging for information, we end up with what's called a collective stopping rule. The study we're discussing today extends the well-known sequential sampling model into what's essentially a team sport. Players in this model are working together to gather this so-called public information about a binary state of the world. What's a binary state, you might ask? Think of it as a simple yes or no, true or false scenario. Everyone's looking to gather signals that'll hint at which way the coin has landed. Right, and they're all updating their beliefs about the state of that coin, so to speak, as they acquire these signals. The end goal is to align their shared beliefs before making a final decision. The crux of the model is figuring out how these players determine when to stop researching and take decisive action especially when there are different rules guiding that collective decision. And that's where things get quite mathematical. The paper we're delving into looks at how players strategically decide when to stop, taking into account not only their own understanding, but also anticipating others' decisions. Have your living room lights become dreadfully expected? longing for illumination that defies explanation and logic. Then you're in luck, because this episode is sponsored by Eldritch Lantern's Lovecraftian Lumens, where lighting meets fright. For sure. Want to read horror classics under a glow that would make even Cthulhu uneasy? Try our Cthulhu mood lamp. Or illuminate your forbidden library with our Necronama light, because who doesn't love a little ancient wisdom with their wattage? Wave goodbye to the mere concept of normal lighting. It's time to embrace the abyss. Each lamp is a handcrafted gateway to cosmic enigma, with eco-friendly tendrils included at no extra charge. Indeed, at Eldritch Lantern's Lovecraftian Lumens, the light isn't just good. It's unspeakably good. Illuminate the madness within and dear listeners, do so while basking in the energy-efficient glow of the old ones. Visit Eldritch Lantern's Lovecraftian Lumens today and tell them Tom and Jen sent you for a free flicker of insanity with every purchase. Just uh, don't read any ancient incantations aloud. We're not responsible for any apocalyptic aftereffects. Happy lighting, or should we say, frighting. That's the spirit, Tom. Get your eldritch glow on with Eldritch Lantern. 